this morning, I'm going to be talking to you from James 4, verse 1 to 10. And um, when I was preparing this message, and just the sort of person that James comes across as, it reminded me of self-help books. How many of you have ever read or read self-help books? I think... If your hand isn't up, then I don't know. Okay. I think at one stage, we've all read self-help books. Do you know that self-help books have been around, well, in print? So they've actually existed since um, before before Jesus' time with the Egyptians, but obviously in mass print. The first one was written in 1859 by a guy called Samuel Smiles. Now, just to jog your memory, Some of the self-help books that, um, especially if you are of the older generation, that you might remember, like in the 1940s, we had Dr. Spock, who tried to tell us how to parent our children. We have, in the 1950s, we had books about how to be the perfect wife, okay? And as a man, how to succeed um, in the workplace, you know? Um, You have self-help books on how to become rich, how to become fit, how to be more successful, how to um, get more friends. You know, you get all these books. And as I was looking at self-help books on the internet, I had to laugh at some of the books that people have written. Wow, it's so interesting. Like, there's really strange things. And some books even have swear words on the title. Um, They really want to get their point across. So um, self-help books have been around um, for years and years. But the thing with self-help books is if you read the book and it's really challenged you and you've loved it, but then you find out that the author of that book has failed miserably in what he wrote about, then he's completely discredited in your eyes and you'll stop following that person most likely, okay? So, you know, I don't know if any of you know this, but Dr. Spock, one of his kids actually committed suicide, so that caused him to lose a lot of uh, credibility. But um, what I want to do this morning is I want to ask you a question, okay? And just give me a chance to uh, explain a little bit further. But as Christians, do our actions line up with what we believe do our actions line up with what we believe? We all know the answer to that question. No. Very often our actions don't line up with what we believe. Um, but James, this half-brother of Jesus, who wrote this hectic book, and if you've read James, you would agree with me, um, James is hardcore, okay, um, he wrote to the, the Jewish Christians and to you and me, he confronts This conflict head on, this conflict of do our actions and our beliefs line up? So today we're going to take a look at a particular passage that I mentioned to you, um, James from James 4, where James actually gives us hope that even when we struggle or don't measure up, all we need to have is a humble heart, reliance and a commitment, reliance on and commitment to Jesus Because he always gives us hope. He always gives us a way out. He always makes a way. So James in this uh, passage actually gives us practical advice on how to live this Christian life. How do we get our actions to line up with our beliefs? And um, I'm actually really glad that it seemed that James realized that we needed a New Testament uh, wisdom book. 
because he's actually given us a lot of wisdom in this very short passage, James 4, 1 to 10. And I'm gonna read it to you. You can follow along on the screen or if you've got the YouVersion Bible app, you can download the message there and save it. So James 4, verse 1 to 10 says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us um, should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously, as the scriptures say. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. We sang that in the one song, if you'll remember. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. I told you James was hectic. Okay? So what we read here is that conflict and quarreling was as prevalent 2,000 years ago as it is today. So what they faced then, we face now. Just maybe our context is slightly different, but quarreling and conflict existed. And so what's amazing about this passage is that James first identifies the conflict. He tells us this is the conflict, but fortunately he doesn't leave us hanging. He actually moves to the solution for this conflict, which is so amazing about the Bible. You actually, you, you see what we struggle with, but there's always an answer. There's always a way out. Let's be honest, conflict is something we all experience, okay? Nobody is immune to conflict. We all experience conflict with our children. I don't know if any of you can relate to this, but I can remember when Taylor and Maddie were little and they would be playing in their bedroom and the next thing I hear screaming and I hear uh, tears and I hear stuff going on and what happens I run into the room and I don't just go, hey, Taylor and Maddie, um, you know, you, you, you have conflict. You're like, hey, girls, what's going on here? You time out. You go shower. You pack that away. You know, there's conflict. You have conflict with your children. You're not thinking rationally at that moment. You're just thinking, I'm going to break up this conflict, all right? What about conflict with our colleagues? I've got a little secret. So Tammy won't like that I'm sharing this, but I'm going to anyway. So back in the day when I was overseeing the kids' ministry, we were all women in an office, not just in a department, in one office. Man, did we have personality conflict. I can remember one day I had just moved out of the office and I got my own office, which was around the corner in the building. 
and we heard shouts and screams. So I go running and I open the door and the girls in my office, who are children's pastors, are screaming and shouting and killing each other. And I was like, hey, are you guys not Christians? What's going on here? They wanted to pull each other's hair out because conflict exists whether you are a Christian or not. Conflict is in everyone's life. What about marriage? In my marriage, which is perfect, okay, (laughs) conflict comes with communication. Jason is a talker and I am not. So when we address an issue, he does all the talking and after half an hour, he waits for me to respond and I have nothing to say because I'm still trying to work it out in my head and formulate what I'm thinking and feeling because I'm introvert in that way and he's extrovert and that causes more problems. Don't you have anything to say? Are you just going to leave it? You're just happy to say nothing to me. So we're having this problem and, and you just got nothing to say. More conflict. So we have conflict in every area of our lives. James tells us that, all right? He, and, but he fortunately also tells us that there's a solution. And James starts off by asking this question, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Think about the last conflict you had. What caused it? What was the cause of your conflict? James is going to answer that for you in a moment. Okay. So what I want to do this morning is I want to unpack three truths from this passage to help us see what we can do about conflict. So the first point this morning is the problems. Okay. James pointed out the problems. And the problems between us, guess what, are rooted within us. As you thought about the source of conflict that I just asked you about, did you identify yourself as that source? Most of us would have thought, yes, that conflict I had, it was my spouse. They were the problem. They were the source of the conflict. That conflict I had at work, it was that co-worker. They're an idiot. They're the cause of the conflict. They're the source of all my problems. My children... My children drive me crazy. They're the source of my problems. They just won't stop fighting. That's probably what a lot of us did when we thought back to the last conflict that we had. But instead of blaming outside factors, such as noisy neighbors that live next door to Jason and I, who decide to run a business from five o'clock in the morning, packing a truck, okay, we, we want to blame Sam's amening because she lives in our flat and right by those people. You know, we, we, we want to look at outside factors or we, we, we want to blame the traffic or we want to blame people in our lives whenever we encounter problems. But we need to identify the conflict that is in work inside of us. Remember, he asked the question in verse one, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Here's the answer. Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? That's hectic. Desires, what he's talking about in this, in this, this passage, desires at war within you. Desires, other words could be passions, 
at war within you. Lusts at war within you. And that's just not sexual lust. That's a lust for anything, okay? It's anything we desperately want. There is a cartoon that, uh, called Pogo. Uh, we'll put it up now. Um, that says, um, I have met the enemy and the enemy is us. We look in the mirror, the enemy is us. We must admit that our main problems are rooted inside of us. That's the first step, is to admit that our problems are rooted inside of us. A newspaper um, once sent an inquiry to several famous authors asking this question, what's wrong with the world today? One author quickly, quickly replied, I am yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. What's wrong with the world today? I am. I've got to deal with myself. Okay. So if we're going to deal with these um, issues that are rooted inside of us, if we're going to deal with these issues, we need to discover what these sources of of conflict are inside of us. So we want to deal with it so we know what the problem is. James has, has told us that there's a problem. But what do these problems look like inside of us? We need to know what they are in order to deal with them. So one of the conflicts that we have is conflict of self. Okay? Why is it that as people we can so easily become unhappy, become irritable? Anyone relate to being irritable? Just me. Okay. Depressed or bitter because we want something for ourselves. And you know what? Even when it's something good that we want, when we don't get it, we become irritable, frustrated, bitter, especially when we see that others have it and we want it and we don't have it. You know that we are self-centered as a people. We just are. I was sharing with, J- with Jason, you know, Recently, I flew to Joburg, and we were booking. Um, we were pre-booking our, um, our our seats to to pre-check in. And when you go on, and it gives you all the the seat options, what do you notice? All the middle seats are open. Nobody wants the middle seat because we are self-centered. We want what we want. We don't think, you know, that oh, it's okay to have the middle the middle aisle. And let me tell you. What I, and I'm guilty of this. Let me get on that plane and I've reserved the aisle seat and there's somebody sitting in it. I quickly point out, uh uh-uh, no, 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 I booked the seat. Okay, I have other reasons, but I quickly point out that, uh, no, 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 you must move. I I booked the seat. Because we are self-centered, okay? That's our human nature. Some other traits of being self-centered are a need for admiration, a lack of empathy for other people, unrealistic sense of entitlement, being demanding, being manipulative. Do you know what else we are? A conflict of self is that we are self-sufficient and we are self-seeking. I'm the master of my ship. I don't need you and I don't need God. I will make the decisions. I will decide what's best for me. I will go into debt for what I want. I will make a plan. I will ride over whoever I need to to get what I want. We are self-sufficient and self-seeking. How many of you have those people in your life, okay, that you start a conversation with them 
and you're talking about stuff that's been going on, and they just have this ability to turn that conversation around and make it all about them. That's self-seeking. When a person cares more about what they are going to get out of that relationship than what they can give, it's, it's, self, it's almost like self-feeding. Then another type of conflict that takes place inside of us is the conflict of unfaithfulness. James was trying to shock his readers with bursting out this thing when he said, adulterous people. Sure, he's hectic, okay? Adulterous people. James is speaking about spiritual adultery, being unfaithful to God. That's a conflict that takes place inside of us, being unfaithful to God. How is it that we commit spiritual adultery? You know, you think to yourself, no, I, I'm very faithful to God. I would never do that. But we do. We do commit spiritual adultery. Look at, verse, at the rest of verse 4. It says, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be an enemy of God? What is it, why is he telling us that being friends with the world is bad? Okay. In the previous verses, we saw that James was very blunt. Okay. His readers had been living according to worldly wisdom. All right. They were taking wisdom from the world and they were living according to that. The, this worldly wisdom says that to be, success, to be successful, we must do whatever it takes to get what we want out of life. We must provide for ourselves. Nobody else is going to do it for us. So we must be willing to fight for whatever we want. That's what worldly wisdom is. You know, it's first come, first serve. It's fight until you get what you want. The wisdom of God, however, calls us to a very different attitude. Christians should trust God to provide all the good we need. So it's totally opposite to the world's wisdom. And because James's readers were unwilling to trust God in this way, he now calls them adulterers, hectic, hectic to be called adulterers. He compares their choice to continue following the wisdom of the world with that of a spouse committing adultery in their marriage. Spiritually speaking, these Christians that James was writing to was committing adultery towards God. They were cheating on God with the world. They were cheating on God. James says something which should be obvious to us, but it's not. That we can't be friends with both the world and God. And that anyone who continues to be friends with the world is living as God's enemy. That's quite a hectic statement. But it's important to understand what James is not saying in this passage. He's not saying that as, Christ, as Christians... We should not be friends with non-Christians. He's not saying that we mustn't spend time with non-Christians. He's not saying that we mustn't be part of our culture, you know, or that we mustn't be friendly to people that we meet. That's not what this passage is about. James is very clear in this passage that Christians who choose to continue to live according to the wisdom of the world. So not with the people according to the wisdom of the world, um, which is, again, being driven by greed, jealousy, resentment, and ungodly ambitions, okay? Seeking what they want regardless of considering other people 
are not living as friends of God. So this isn't about having relationship with people. It's about making choices based on the world's wisdom. Let me give an example of what friendship with God, of what friendship with the world looks like. Friendship with the world looks like taking. I'm taking the world's advice. I'm taking the world's values. I'm taking the world's morals and I'm putting it into my heart and I'm living that out. Friendship with God looks like giving. I'm giving Christ's love by spending time with people. I'm giving Christ's love by encouraging people, by counseling people, by helping the needy, by being a good friend. That's what friends, friendship with God looks like. In 1 John 2 verse 15, it says, Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. And another conflict that takes place in us. So my, my number one heading was the problem. And it's a conflict of self. There's conflict of unfaithfulness. And then there's conflict of pride. Do you know what pride is? It's when we make the decision to say that I know better than God. That's pride. It's pride that caused Satan to fall out of heaven, to be kicked out of heaven. And it's pride whenever we choose the world's way over God's way. That's pride. It's pride when we like to be right, even at the expense of a relationship. And man, am I guilty of that. When I get into a zone, and this happened to me in Joburg recently, I was confident and prideful that I was right to what the hotel's name was. To the point where eventually Tammy and the other two girls who were in my car were like, well, maybe they've been smoking something because they can see the name, but Sue must be, because I was adamant. And I had to apologize because I was so adamant that I wouldn't hear what everyone else was saying. Now, that's a minor example, but it's this example of how we will push to a point without considering that we might be wrong at the, next, at the expense of a relationship. That's pride. Now, James does a great job in identifying the sources of conflict that we've just looked at, okay, the problems. But he doesn't leave us there, praise God. He goes on to show us the solution to the conflict. So my second point this morning is the promises. And the promises to us come from above. That's who our faith is in, in God. In James 4, verse 5 to 6, it says, Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. There's a promise. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God never runs out of grace. Thank you, Jesus. His grace gives and gives and gives as long as we are humble as long as we are willing to admit that we had an issue of conflict, of self, of pride, of unfaithfulness. Humble says, God, you know better than me. But we must first admit that the problems among us are rooted within us. Then we can claim the promises that God gives grace to the humble. So you first got to admit that there's a problem within you that's rooted, that's maybe your default setting, that's a habit you've gotten into, that is something that you, 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 you struggle with. Once you can admit it, then you can claim the promise. Because once you admit it, what, ha what happens is you become humble. 
And when you are humble, then God can work. When you are humble, God can say, right, now I can perform surgery. Now I can do what I need to do in you. But the first step is admitting where you go wrong. My third point this morning is the the path. So we have problems, we have his promise, and then James gives us a, a solution. He says, this is the path you need to follow. Walk this way. Because the path that he set out for us, we actually have to walk that path. Okay? So the path. And in the New Living Translation version, all right, you'll see when it comes up that it says, so humble, I've I've underlined it, it's humble, resist the devil, come close to God, wash your hands, purify your hearts, let there be sorrow and deep grief, Humble yourselves before the Lord. And I want to read that to you in the message version. It is amazing. It says, so let God work his will in you. Yell aloud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom and cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. And then I love this line. It's only It's the only way you'll ever get on your feet. So we need to get down and humble ourselves in order for God to be able to put us on our feet and lift us up in honor. But we can't just sit around and wait for things to get better or for the conflict to resolve by itself, all right? This is what this passage is telling us. You can't just be like, oh, one day it'll all get better. James is giving us a solution, Okay, so we need to intentionally engage in what God is, in what James is telling us to do in this passage. The first thing he's telling us to do is to submit to God. You need to submit. Um, Hudson Taylor once said, God uses men who are weak and feeble enough to lean on him. Are you weak and feeble enough to lean on God and realize that you don't have all the answers, that you don't have it all together, that with his power and his strength, you can lean on him and you can face anything and you can get through anything because you are leaning on the strength of God. I remember when I was going through a season of my life where I was in one season and I desperately wanted to be in, this other, in, in another season of my life. This winter season was just taking way too long. But God kept telling me, Susan, submit to me. In my time, the new season will come. And I had to keep submitting until he changed my path, until he opened the doors. Then we need to resist the devil. Now we resist the devil by the power of God, not our own power. We need the power of God inside of us. Do you know that the same spirit that was in Jesus when he was tempted in the desert is the same spirit that lives in us? It's the exact same spirit. So that's how we resist the devil, by relying on the Holy Spirit that is inside of us, by relying on him and um, submitting and responding to him daily. You know what? How I have to resist the devil on a daily basis is the devil loves to remind me of my past, of who I'm not like and what I'm not like. And then I easily fall into the trap of comparison. But if if I was only more like that or more like that, 
But I need to resist the devil in those moments because it is not what God wants for me. I need to resist him. I need to tell him to get away from me and, yeah, get away from me. Okay. (laughs) I won't tell you what else I think. Um, Then we need to draw close to God. Do you know that it's in God's presence that releases all fear and allows us to do the things that we would never be able to do on our own? It's with his presence. There's a book written by um, J. Oswald Sanders called Enjoying Intimacy with God. And this is what he said. He said, both scripture and experience teach that it is we, not God, who determine the degree of intimacy with him that we enjoy. We are at this moment as close to God as we really choose to be. That was such a challenge to me. I can't blame God for being far away from me. I am in relationship to God because I've chosen where I'm at in relationship to him. And I just want to be honest with you. It's not always easy. I remember going through hard times in my life where I almost intentionally didn't draw close to God. I was like, no, God, I'm not drawing close to you. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. Things aren't working out my way. No, I'm going to like not spend time with you. I don't know if any of you can relate to that. But where you are so frustrated, you don't want to draw close. You want him to draw close and solve your problems the way you want them. But you don't want to draw close. And I found myself there many times where I've had to almost slap myself, you know, in Afrikaans, like, ruk yourself reg. I've had to like, p- pull myself towards myself and actually say, no, Susan, am I either willing to surrender to God's will for my life or am I not? Then we need to wash our hands. What does that mean? Basically, James was writing to the Jewish readers. So for them, that reminded them of ceremonial washing that they used to do. And if you remember back to Pilate, when the um, Jewish leaders were, were shouting out for Jesus, crucify him, crucify him, Pilate washed his hands as if to say, I'll have no part of this decision of what you want to do. And that's basically what James is telling us. He's saying, wash your hands of the sin and walk away from it. Get rid of it. He's telling us to wash our hands. And then we need to purify our hearts. How do we do that? We surrender to Jesus. We admit when we're wrong, we ask for forgiveness, and we try and move away from the sin. That's how we purify our hearts. And in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1, it says, because We have these promises, dear friends. Let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit and let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. And then James tells us that we need to have sorrow and grief for our sin. When you sin, does your sin bring you sorrow? Do you grieve over your sin towards God? And please understand, I'm not talking about shame. I'm not saying that, oh, I'm I'm ashamed that I've, I've sinned. It's talking about, do you care that you've sinned? Do you care? Is there sorrow in your heart for what you've done? And then humble yourselves. We need to humble ourselves before God. We need to embrace our brokenness. We need to admit that we've done wrong. Or we'll continue in our pride, 
In 1 Peter 5 verse 6, it says, So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, He will lift you up in honor. Isn't that a beautiful promise? Humble ourselves, and at the right time, He will lift us up in honor. As Jason mentioned earlier on, we don't stay in this position. God doesn't want us to continuously um, look at what we've done and, and live there. At the right time, He lifts us up. And he says, I honor you. You know, he, he lifts you up in honor. And I think that's absolutely beautiful. So in closing, this is what I want you to get out of this message. That thing inside of you, that thing, that feeling that just keeps creeping up and reminding you that you deserve more that you can be more successful, that life is unfair. Why did they get the promotion and not me? Why is that person married and have kids and not me? Why do they have that sort of income and I don't? That thing that keeps creeping up inside of you, that feeling of dissatisfaction, that raging war inside of you, that's what I want to encourage you this morning to surrender to God. That war that's going inside, on inside of you, that conflict that you're experiencing, I want you to surrender that to God.